0: How can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. What's the very first question to ask yourself when planning a meaningful event? If you ask Kylie Eisman Lifshitz, organizational consultant and founder of Work Well, it's obvious, why am I bringing these people together? Clearly defining your purpose greatly determines how you should go about achieving it in terms of who to invite and how to orchestrate their interactions throughout the event, start to finish, and long after it's over. There are plenty of planning elements worth taking into consideration if you seek for your event to be truly engaging and even transformative for your audience. As an organizational consultant for over 20 years, Kylie deeply understands the importance of helping people thrive at work and is particularly interested in the behavioral aspects of workplace dynamics. Organizations, large and small, are always in perpetual motion with so much intentional human behavior in action at any given moment. Addressing challenges, initiating changes, negotiating career paths, improving performance, increasing diversity, promoting innovation, facilitating meetings, and as we're all too familiar with these past months, establishing resilience throughout crisis, These are all organizational behaviors requiring plenty of clear communication among managers, teams, and individuals. And Kylie has lots of great insights into how to go about managing them effectively. Join us for episode 13 of Let's Clarify It, in which Kylie shares how meaningful interaction can be baked into the very design of an event along the timeline from planning to event to follow up, how discussion leaders can best navigate online conversations, which include disagreement, and what are some great online substitutes for the in-person magic that happens at events.
1: Curious? Let's clarify it. Hi, Kylie, how are you? I am great, Daphna, how are you? I'm good,
0: happy to see you. And I look forward to meeting you soon outside on a fun run or, right, we should be able to get back to that real soon, shouldn't we? I know, I cannot wait,
1: even though I haven't been running as much as I should be, so. He is hoping I can keep up with you.
0: (laughs) No, 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 not at all. So maybe we'll just do the coffee after everybody else is finished running. We're good with that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) That works too. Super happy to have you here on Let's Clarify It, where we're helping people, especially researchers and entrepreneurs, sharpen their messaging and receive practical tips that they can apply when they're addressing their high stakes audiences. And I know that as a management consultant at Workwell, You've got lots of important insights for them. Can you tell us a bit about WorkWell and what your focus is there?
1: Absolutely. So WorkWell, it was founded basically to help people deal with the challenges of behavior and all kinds of behavioral aspects of the workplace. It ranges from everything from executive coaching, so one-on-one, to working with teams, working with leadership workshops and that kind of thing, all the way through to helping people design effective interactions, whether they're a retreat or a conference or something much larger.
0: So the audiences that you address most often are CEOs of
1: companies? Yeah, I do a lot of management consulting. So people who are going through reorganizations, there's been a lot of adjustment, especially during the times of Corona and many managers are looking for insights into how to best manage those transitions, whether it's to working remotely or bringing everyone back, whether it's integrating new team members or unfortunately letting them go. So dealing with all of those changes has been, I think, very disruptive for many people. And people are very excited about a new perspective. And I really focus on what works and actual practical insights for people in their work. And what kind of
0: communications challenges are you seeing that these CEOs are facing in this situation?
1: Well, that really depends. I think that it depends on at what level we're talking about. So it can range from the interpersonal, if you know, you're know you having a particular challenge in your work. It could be with a particular client or a colleague. I see many people coming to me who are looking to just be able to communicate more effectively, make their pitch better, or they're frustrated because they think they're communicating and it's not getting through. So people are finding it more frustrating. They're trying to communicate particularly and they're not getting through and they're, what's got, what am I doing wrong? So that could be on an individual level. What I find most interesting though, is dealing with people who are designing interactions on a larger scale. And this is something which I think is very much neglected. I know that during Corona, a lot of things, large scale interactions were neglected. And now people are starting to think about bringing their team back together, doing strategic planning processes with their management groups, trying to integrate teams who are working remotely from different places in the world, or whether it's trying to plan an online Zoom conference or an in-person interaction or retreat. All of these things require a degree of consideration that usually people don't Really give. They think we'll just bring everyone together and then tell them what we want them to do, and then hope that it works. Because everybody's kind of been living on Zoom for the past year anyway, so what
0: is there to plan about it, right? But what is there to plan about it if they actually want to be effective?
1: Well, the truth is, the very first thing you have to ask yourself is, why are you bringing these people together? And there's a certain joy of bringing people together, and we all see it when we finally get together with our friends for a drink. People are so thirsty for human interaction. Group interactions are very, very powerful things, but they can go the wrong way if you don't design them. So the first thing that you need to do is to be thinking about what is your goal? What is the purpose of you bringing these people together, both in terms of outcomes, but also what do you want the person to be thinking, feeling, and doing when they leave? So if you think about it in the context of a behavioral arc, your person, when they arrive, the first entrance point, whether that's the first minute or the first hour or the first day, what do they look like? What are their thoughts? What are their feelings? What are their concerns about the subject that you're focusing on? And when they leave, what do you want them to be thinking, feeling, and doing. And you have to design a behavioral arc that takes them from point A To point B. So taking into account that if you're working with people over a period of time, it's unrealistic to expect them to maintain an emotional high for three days. You have to take into account that they're gonna want to have breaks, but also part one might be let's talk about the challenges. Part two might be let's look at some input from other areas and get ideas. And part three will be let's talk about how we want to implement it. And that's just a very simplistic example. But if you're not thinking of a behavioral arc and you're not thinking about how you're moving people through an experience, you're very unlikely to get there.
0: So that's in terms of planning in advance of such an event. So you're saying that it's actually a lot more about the planning that the organizers put into it rather than just counting on the technology to do a good job of it being the next best thing to actually being in person?
1: Well, I think that that's a huge part of it, planning. And everyone agrees that planning is a large part of it. We tend to focus on bringing a charismatic speaker or something that going to give you bang for your buck, like a cool location. I think that there's a very little thought given to who are the people that need to be there? Who are the people that don't need to be there. And what does the venue tell or indicate to people? Is it a casual venue? Is it a fancy venue? Is it a formal venue? And how does that play into people's behavior and interactions? And last of all, I think if you're not thinking about the content and the design of the content, you're not going to reach your goals. So that's on the design aspect. Of course there's a lot that happens on the day. So tell us
0: about the day itself. Let's say that they actually managed to put good thought into the planning, but then Mm -hmm what can happen on the day itself what if things either go totally differently than planned and there are all kinds of last minute curveballs and changes what else do they need to take into consideration on the day itself at the event
1: i would say that there is never an event where there aren't curveballs and there are always things that go wrong i guess that's murphy's law but the reality is that when you bring people together there are all kinds of things that impact on the day so if people can't get there for some reason or someone's sick or There is a international incident that distracts people. All of these things are actually par for the course. And one of the things that I talk to my clients about is really expecting that and accepting that that's actually normal that's very normal. And not to get all flustered by that. So one of the rules that I love is the people who are in the room are the people who are meant to be there and not being anxious about that person who couldn't make it. And then therefore we can't make any decisions. So whoever's meant to be in the room is in the room. And that gives everybody a feeling of relaxation. Like we're not anxious anymore about that person who is running late or that person who can't be there. We're able to function as a group on our own. So that's really very valuable. The other part is recognizing what's going on outside the room. So any personal challenges that people are facing, like I said, an international incident, that's going to totally throw people off. Whatever's happening in the news and politics very much impacts the way people are relating to each other. And we see that a lot working with clients who are maybe dealing with Black Lives Matters or Capitol Hill being attacked or whatever it is that's going on in the background. That's really going to be informing people's conversations. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. There are big issues that are happening and Corona, of course, going on in the background and sometimes people's children jumping all over them or behind the screen. So the impact of the outside world has become more and more present. And of course, then there are the natural dynamics that come up in groups and you have to be prepared to deal with that. So those are some
0: main focal points for during an event itself. Do you find that online-based events should necessarily be much shorter than in-person events? When you talk about a three-day retreat or a three-day event, can you actually successfully conduct a three-day virtual event?
1: I think you can, but people tend to come in and out. So I think there's a lot less of a continuity of experience. There is something very high powered and exciting about being removed from your usual life, hopping on a plane, going to a destination, being in a location with people who then you will have drinks with afterwards or see in the pool in social environments afterwards. And that conferences can give you that kind of extra layer of human interaction. And that is what I think, really suffers when you're on Zoom. Zooms are very, very focused and very productive, but they don't give very good opportunities for networking like we see. So a lot of the networking is going on behind the scenes, maybe on chat and things like that. And if you are designing a Zoom conference with the intention of improving networking and allowing people to connect, you have to use breakout rooms, you have to structure interactions so that people can have informal conversations about all kinds of things and interact in ways that are a little bit more fun and quirky that will bring out the social side of them that they don't otherwise get to express. I think also it's worthwhile. I touched on it a little bit before when I said people, we have to take into account the natural interactions of people in groups. Usually in groups, it's unusual that everyone agrees. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Would you agree with that? So it's usual that there are people who are skeptical or who disagree. And even if everyone's more or less on the same page, the nature of groups is that someone will take on themselves the role of the critical voice. Otherwise, it's not interesting for people. People are excited and interested and want to be engaged. So when you have that person who brings the critical voice, first of all, recognize that person is engaged. So what you want is Not to shut that down, but you want to step towards that and engage with that and to be really inclusive of that voice. So first of all, you shouldn't be afraid when people are critiquing anything that you're saying, you should be interested at unpacking it with them and inviting that voice in and saying, yes, what do we do with that? And how do we deal with that challenge? And that's a good point. And allowing for that kind of conversation, it both shows confidence in your ability to handle differences of opinion and confidence. Confidence in your subject matter and it creates what's called a safe space. So if people get the message that they cannot object or disagree, they'll be very quick to assume this isn't a real conversation. This is just a presentation and we all just have to be quiet and listen. And what you want is to invite that level of interaction. However, that being said, it's also your role as facilitator to protect people. So if somebody is becoming aggressive or super critical or denigrating other people or taking too much Time, there is always that danger. You have a role to sculpt that conversation and to respectfully create boundaries that everybody can live with. And that both allow for dissenting opinions, but without it being damaging to the dialogue or to other people in the room. So practically, how can such a
0: facilitator get involved in an online conversation like that and kind of shift it in the direction that it needs to be in order for it to continue to be more constructive? Technically speaking, is this a matter of sending a personal chat to the person that you feel like is stepping out of line? Or how can you actually practically do it without interrupting somebody else (laughs)
1: interrupting? Exactly. I think you can interrupt. Just do that. It's uncomfortable and it's awkward. But what you'll notice is the longer you stay quiet, the more the group will start Being annoyed with you for not interrupting. So, you have a responsibility to the group. The best way to get someone's attention is usually to say their name and it's a respectful way. So, if someone were talking too much, or instead of saying no, 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 or stop, 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 or please be quiet, you would say, Daphna, Daphna, thank you so much for sharing. I would like to create a space afterwards to have this conversation in greater depth. Anyone who's interested, please send me a message on the chat and I'll organize a breakout room at a different time. But for the purposes of this conversation, I'd like to move on that way. And I mean, worst case scenario, you can mute somebody, but that's not the best.
0: That's pretty extreme. Of
1: course. And it doesn't show that kind of open conversation that you really want to have. But usually, like I said, people respond to their name very well. (laughs) We've all been well-trained. Totally. (laughs) Is there an ideal number of participants in a discussion
0: online that you find to actually be conducive to being able to have a conversation? I've been on these Zooms with 40 people and half of them are muted and some of them have their cameras off and do you find that there's a magic number which would be the next best thing to a boardroom discussion that would actually be effective?
1: I tend to say 12, just because if you imagine your screen being divided into those little squares, you want to be able to see people's faces and their expression, because so much of human communication is not verbal. I can see now you're nodding and you're with me, but if I was looking at 12 screens, I need to be able to see are those 12 people with me or not. Certainly if they've turned their screen off, then they're not with me or in the same way. And I usually would ask people to keep their screens on, but that doesn't mean you can't have much larger groups. You just have to understand that the level of interaction is not, it's not a group conversation anymore. It's like a plenary where you have a few people up the front, you can have a panel conversation and then everybody else is kind of free to come in and out to listen and to be engaged at whatever level they want to be engaged. And then you take questions in the same way. I think it works. It just works at a different level. And of course, when you're dividing people into smaller groups for breakout rooms, I really believe four is a great number. I think it just works very well. But even two and three and four, five and six, they all work. They just work at different levels.
0: You want to provide for everybody in that breakout room to actually feel like they had the opportunity to share and to be heard. So it can't be many more than that, right?
1: No. Well that's the question isn't it. So sometimes when you have a conversation with six people you might end up with two people who dominate the conversation and in other groups everyone will take a turn. Each group will have their own culture of conversation and I think that's life that's normal. If you're worried and you really want every person to speak and you're with a group of people who maybe are challenged about speaking start with one-on-one conversations and then ask each person to present the other person's opinion in a larger forum, which is a great way to get people to listen to each other, which is the other big challenge that we have in group interactions. Kylie, we've seen some creative
0: solutions to kind of bringing, we can't take people out to a venue yet, but have you seen some creative solutions for kind of bringing all of the fun stuff into people's homes. I've seen lots of people posting pictures on LinkedIn of care packages that they received from their company's HR department, things like that. Even if it wasn't specifically for a conference, certainly within the onboarding process of new employees, welcome into the family of our company and here are some goodies for you. Have you seen people use that kind of technique for conferences in order to make people feel like they're actually getting at least some of the bonuses of going to an offsite venue?
1: Well, I think swag has always been a big part of conferences, getting the branded, what a bottle or notepad or pen. So you don't have to give that up by any means. I do think though that there's no real replacement for human interaction. And the most exciting things I see are clever, icebreakers that get people to show each other their rooms to talk about something that's in their physical space so that they get to interact at that level where they're sometimes sent to websites to engage in interactive challenges and then online treasure hunts there's all different ways that you can for enabling more intimate conversations but just the icebreakers giving people a quirky question to ask each other. So escape rooms are great. I love escape rooms and they're fantastic as well. And they also work well because they work on small groups. So you don't need to have large groups together, but they work very well in creating Great team dynamics and it's competitive, so you can do several teams, and I think it's really fun.
0: Now, online or offline, the end of the event and the closing plenary session is not actually the end of the interaction between the people. If you want it to have a lasting
1: impact, what happens yeah. after it's over? That is the real money question, Daphna. Too many people think, well, we had this great event, wonderful. Phew, we're done. And most often, what people forget is that if you're trying to have a conference in order to create a lasting impact, whether it's a behavioral change or introduction of new ideas or creation of new relationships or promoting your product or brand, your event is really a call to action. What you want is the follow on behaviors. And people don't think about how do we trigger that? How do we lay the groundwork for those ongoing interactions? How do we prepare the people in our conference or our event or our retreat to follow through on whatever the purpose or goal of that interaction is? And that's critical. So I always do a session with my clients on what does follow-up look like and do they need to appoint people as change agents or group leaders? Do they need to invite people to sign up to working groups? Do they give people the opportunity to sign up as ambassadors for whatever it is they're doing. And what are the actual behaviors that you're asking people to do in order to follow up? And it's a great chance for you to do all of that customer surveying to say, what would make it easier for you to engage with this product? What would make it easier for you to follow through on this particular activity or interaction or behavior that you're trying to engender?
0: Totally. All right. So you gave us three chronological steps for designing effective online events within companies, what they need to take into consideration in advance of the event, how to successfully conduct the event itself, and the importance of following up. Maybe back to the specific topic of clarity of messages that these CEOs convey, have you come across challenges in terms of maybe a message you were trying to get across to someone consulting with you, a concept that you thought maybe they were finding a bit complex and you had to break
1: it down for them? I think when you're talking about communication, you're the expert when it comes to presentation skills. I'm not even going to touch that area, but I'll talk about my expertise, which is about behavior. And as I said, communication is largely nonverbal. So people read a lot into your behavior. A CEO can get up there and say, I think it's so important that we have a safe space and that people bring their ideas and their new ideas. This is all about innovation, for instance. And then they can proceed to shoot down any new ideas, not be open basically say there's no funding or be caustic and derogatory to people who are challenging. So they have to walk the talk. And I've had clients when they've been upset about employees dissatisfaction. And I've said basically, it doesn't work. If you want to stop employees being dissatisfied, you can't just get angry at them for being dissatisfied. You need to ask them what's going on. And sometimes, as we know, if you've ever called a complaints line, just listing is enough. Someone listening to you and saying, I'm sorry, and let me see what I can do. And genuinely being interested and concerned is 99% of the battle. And so when I work with my clients, I often talk about how do you embody that change that you're asking people to do? Now, what does that actually look like? And when you want people to perform better, what does better performance look like? And if you don't know, then how are your employees supposed to know? And I think it all comes down to behaviors that reinforce the outcomes that you want. So given
0: your behavioral focus, are you finding and are you hearing from CEOs that conveying their nonverbal communication is much more challenging in a virtual reality that they need to connect with their employees that are
1: anywhere else, but not in the room with them? I definitely hear there's so many challenges. Just people are not as present, unfortunately. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not as productive. Some people are getting a lot of work done, especially those whose jobs focus on the virtual sector. But almost every client I work with is struggling with the fact that employees are not maybe as productive as they were before, that there is a lot of challenges just working from home. And it's not just about communication, it's about productivity. But when they think about what do they actually expect people to do and what they want them to do, the way that they're going to trigger those outcomes, it doesn't change. Like You can either give people bad feedback or write repeated emails or do things that maybe you've done several times to no avail. Or you can say, what would make this person sit up, pay attention, or do the thing that I want them to do? And sometimes it's as simple as saying to that person, please just do this. Don't do other stuff. Just do this thing and then this thing. Especially when you haven't got as much time and bandwidth as before, prioritizing is very important and recognizing the limitations that people are functioning under now. Though I do believe that things will change ultimately and the way that we worked with our employees and accommodated our employees during this period will really pay off later when they come back. And some of us, think have worked so hard and been so understanding so far we're right at the end now we're nearing the finish line and it depends where you live that's for sure it feels like so far away (laughs) so I'm saying on the one hand most locations they're talking about what is their exit plan from and having an exit plan what is your exit plan do you have one if you do have one you should be thinking about how do you hang in there that last part is the hardest part that's when you think to yourself okay now why aren't they working yet why isn't this happening yet what do I need to do to make things happen that's when we lose our patience lose our temper say things we probably shouldn't when you milk the cow don't kick over the bucket don't do that hold on to yourself hang in there and think will this response get the outcome that I want and if it doesn't then there's no point doing it whether it's a conversation or it's telling someone off you just have to realize is what's going to get the outcome that I would like does that make sense Absolutely. Hang in there. Everyone's going through the same thing. It's really, really a difficult time. Are you seeing that companies are accommodating the needs of their employees?
0: I hear some companies talking about having policies of not having meetings at the time of day that they know that their parent of young children employees may be fixing lunch for their children who have been largely homeschooled, things like that. Do you think that there is a lot of room for accommodation, which also could contribute directly to productivity? Because if you show the employees that you're being considerate of their need to balance, I mean, Never was there more of a need to balance family and work life, right? Than when you've got them going on in the same space. Are you seeing that that's working? Is that something that you tend to discuss a lot with your CEO? Uh,
1: so to be perfectly honest, I don't think across the board policies work these days. I think in any company, you're gonna have some employees that are young parents and you should accommodate them. So if your team is largely parents of young children, then you'll say, okay, that's not schedule between like four and seven, but from seven to nine, that's your money time. If you're working with parenting teenagers, Forget about it. Seven to nine is crazy time. So it really depends on the actual needs. And my advice to people is ask. Ask people what would make it easier for them. Policies are great. You think, oh, I'm being so good and I've done this policy and look what I've done for people and the people aren't appreciative. Why are people not appreciative? Because that's not what they need. And so it really depends on what people actually need. One thing that I do say is that scheduling, we often schedule a meeting from one to two, another one from two to three, three to four, and we forget that people need to breathe. They need to go to the toilet. They need to grab something to eat. They need to get up from their chair. People are not automatons. And and because of the way things are scheduled, I think we often forget that. So I always recommend people make sure to leave 15 minute breaks between your meetings or even if it's five, but don't be rigid with your times because that's just not the way people are built. I think that that's usually received very gratefully <laughs> and it's a helpful thing. And it improves productivity because most of our meetings do not need an hour. They usually need 45 minutes.
0: Nice. Differential meeting of differential needs and taking breaks and listening in to what the employees actually need. Leave us maybe with just one final tip with regard to communication, verbal, nonverbal, the combination of the two. What's a great tip that you've received that you apply in your professional life that you wish every CEO knew?
1: Wow. This is like the one big tip from a behavioral perspective. It would be walk the talk. Think of what does my behavior project rather than what are the words coming out of my mouth? That's my big tip. I definitely would say, though, that when you're preparing communication and you're about to speak to people, think in your head every time you go into a meeting. What do I want this person to know, feel and do and if you don't know those three things then you're not prepared
0: perfect thank you so much kylie i can't wait to meet you on a run or coffee at the end of a run <laughs> thank <laughs>
1: you so much Pleasure.
0: thank you my pleasure we pulled off the virtual thing too so it turns out we can even meet over zoom and <laughs> and have a good yeah. time with that
1: thank you so much Great. for your helpful thank tips. you it's a pleasure and thank you for the opportunity of sharing super pleasure have a beautiful continuation to your
0: day Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.